This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hi, this is James Meredith, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, on Davis Cup weekend, I'm very happy to say we've just been introduced by James Meredith, who is one of our Kickstarter backers. Thank you very much for your support, James, and to everybody who has helped the tennis podcast to be in 2018. We've already had 16 editions of The Daily Show during the Australian Open. Most of those were with Catherine Whitaker. She's not around at the moment. Why? Because she's just gone off to Korea in Pyeongchang to cover the Winter Olympics for Eurosport. And she spoke to me earlier today. She told me that she had uh, just experienced the 30 seconds of coldest weather that she's ever experienced in her entire life. And that was just getting from the aeroplane into the terminal building. Minus 20 degrees, she told me it was, which is a 60 degree centigrade change from when she got on the plane uh, in Sydney. So uh, if she thinks she's getting any sympathy from me, she's mistaken. But uh, we'll be watching her progress with interest at the Winter Olympics. That'll start in a few days' time. And uh, she'll be on your telly. But she won't be talking tennis with us today. However, that doesn't mean we're not having a tennis podcast. We most certainly are. We're going to be having Charlie Eccleshare from The Telegraph with us from Marbella in Spain, where the Davis Cup tie between Spain and Great Britain has been taking place. But we'll also go through all the other Davis Cup ties, of course. There's been plenty of other stories as well. Novak Djokovic having his uh, small surgery by the sounds of things. We'll be talking to Charlie about that. But first, let's get on to that tie in Marbella in Spain, because... Great Britain were beaten by Spain 3-1, but it was a rather different type of tie than I think many of us were expecting. I think we should speak to the Great Britain Davis Cup captain, Leon Smith, don't you? Leon? Law man. Hello, Leon. That was a heck of a tie in the end. I mean, was was that more of a tie than maybe even you thought it might be? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, when we knew that we were up against it with... Uh, well, first of all, obviously, no Andy. We always miss Andy immensely. And then, obviously, Kyle um, with a few niggles, etc., and change of surface from Australia and, and probably not going to make it in time. Then you realise, OK, um, we're going to go with the, the debutants, the rookies. Um, so let's make the most out of it. And, and you're hoping that they have a great experience. Uh, they put up a good showing. Uh, and most importantly, they learn an awful lot from it. 
uh, and we got that and more. I mean, that's that's all you can ask. And and obviously Liam uh, went out first and and gave a very very good account of himself. Um, and then of course Cam has grabbed the headlines all weekend uh, from what he's achieved, and, and he leaves here a better player, full of confidence, uh, and a significant reference point of what's possible for him moving forward. You and I have t- sp- spoken about him before, and you've told me what a what a decent player he already is and what a good player you think he can be but I would it be fair to say that until somebody goes out in that situation you just don't know yeah I think it is fair especially when you've not played a pro match on clay you know I think he's played four matches his entire life including junior tennis on clay so you come here uh, on a heavy clay court um, and you play against guys 20 odd in the world um, you realise that it's a big task and, and you don't know what to expect. I mean, and he's gone out and beaten Batista a good. Um, and also to do it from two sets breakdown is even more impressive. Uh, he has a day off and then he comes back in and puts in another very, very high-level match against Ramos, who we all know is one of the better clay court players in world tennis. Um, it's It's an amazing... Story. No one had written that script, but I'm genuinely excited actually about what what the what Cam can do moving forward from this because uh, it does change things for him. It, not in terms of his game or anything, but just his perspective on, on what he can do and schedule and, and belief. Um, so he can go with even more focus than what he had before, which is great. I was quite amused watching the facial expressions that TV was picking out, both of yourself and. Sergio Baguera during that during that those two rubbers that Cameron played on on the face of Sergio Baguera it looked like who who is this guy I mean how how have I not heard of this guy and on you it was it, it was like, like a sort of fatherly pride but but a sort of almost am, amusement that 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 he was just embracing it the way he was and that it was kind of like well he just keeps coming back for more yeah, I mean, I, you know, some some very nice words from Sergi uh, after the match on Friday, and again when I shook hands with him at the end of the day, he's so impressed with Cam. Uh, and how can you not be? I mean, I was really enjoying watching him play, uh, and yeah, I felt very proud watching him. And you know, some things that made me smile, some things that made me get very very pumped up, and even some things that got me frustrated because I actually knew he was in it to to win it, and he just you know, and then you you're really there believing that you can win and he made us believe and that's such an important thing and you know some players uh, when it comes to Davis Cup step up and, and perform over and above and he looks like he's going to be one of those players for us which is great to have such a young player that, that can be in our team and, and probably even more, well it is more important that we can we can, we can have another tour player because uh, that's certainly something that, that we, we need and that we would love to have He looked very comfortable on that surface didn't he? Yeah, he did, um, and he said that afterwards. I mean, you wouldn't have known. He just, as I say, he hasn't played anything on it, so you don't know if you're good on it or not. And they probably looked at it, and I talked to their, his coaching team. I'm not thinking of a long clay season, and thinking now, well, you probably should, because um, if you can take Ramos that close and beat Bautista, good. You should probably think about playing on it, because even though the matches are very, very difficult on it, you can see how much it improves their game. And I've said that for a long time. I think younger players should should spend enough I'm not saying schedule all the time on it uh, if it's not your favourite surface but you should spend enough time on it because it helps your whole game um, and and Cam will feel that now and I'm sure that um, he'll spend a bit more time on it Just finally Leon what were you going to do if he'd have won it? Was Carl coming in at that point? 
yeah, obviously we 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 had a, we chatted about that last night, this morning, and we had a pretty clear uh, plan on that. Liam was 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 in the loop. Everyone's in the loop that if uh, if Cam had won that, then then Kyle would have gone out and, and played that final rubber. Yeah, well, understandable and. Blimey, he got you close. Well, well done this weekend. Another okay, ultimately not successful in terms of the actual result, but a pretty encouraging weekend. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So there's Leon Smith uh, here on the Tennis Podcast and uh, unsurprisingly pretty impressed with the way Cameron Norrie in particular played. Let's have a little chat to Charlie Eccleshare from The Telegraph who has been in Marbella throughout the last few days. Charlie, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Very, very well, very well. Charlie, is this your, was this your first Davis Cup tie covering for The Telegraph? It was, yeah, and uh, quite an introduction. It was a bit, wasn't it? <laughs> what, what were you expecting when you went out there? I mean, Simon Briggs obviously was in the in Australia for the Australian Open. Uh, it's a long old trip. A couple of the other guys went out straight on to, to Marbella. But, I, I mean, I was certainly asked if I wanted to go to, to Marbella, and as lovely a place as it was, part of me was thinking, well, I've had enough, frankly, being on the road. And secondly, I wasn't really expecting to competitive a tie what, what did you expect no I mean we arrived Wednesday night and then had the draw Thursday and um, me and a couple of colleagues uh, from from other papers we, we were genuinely saying you know if um, if Great Britain won a set on that first day those first two singles matches that would be you know a real achievement in fact even just if it was three close sets in either the match we thought that'd be good and when Brody did that in the first match against Ramos for Nolas 
think we thought, well, that's probably the story of the day. You know, Brody competes uh, and only loses in three tight sets. And then Norrie goes two sets and a breakdown. And uh, we're thinking, yep, we've, we've got this one right. And then all of a sudden just starts pulling off the most incredible comeback. Uh, and then we suddenly believed again. Um, and actually, maybe that was, um, you know, maybe that was a bad thing because then we were brought back down to earth on Saturday. But um, no, overall, it was so much more competitive and intense than, uh, than we've been anticipating, definitely. It, it, was a, it was a stark contrast in terms of the atmosphere on the Friday to what it was on the Saturday and Sunday. I mean, I think probably surprise, unsurprisingly in a way in that, you know, Friday, I imagine, is a work day and, and not so many people can go. They can at the weekend. But my sense just watching on TV was that, frankly, Spain were just waiting to win in a way on Friday. I mean, do, is that is that how it felt? Yeah, it was really flat on Friday. And actually, most of the noise was coming from the British fans, uh, despite the fact that, you know, they were losing for the most part of that first day. Uh, and it felt, you know, this the Spanish fans, as you say, were pretty relaxed, pretty reserved, just sitting back watching it unfold. And their British counterparts were making plenty of noise, but partly in a slightly gallows humory way of, you know, we, we're going to win this. Um, but then by Saturday, they wheeled out this enormous brass band, which was sat right next to us in the press seats, um, which got pretty annoying pretty quickly. But uh, it, did, it, did, <laughs> it, did, uh, it did make for a much better atmosphere. It was kind of like, you know, we'll roll out the big guns to drown out the, um, the away support. And uh, yeah, it livened it up a lot, actually. And it was, it was sunnier on the Saturday as well. And it just a bit more vibrant. There was more, there was more colour. Uh, and the Spanish players seemed to feed off that. Um, you know, especially when you've got someone like Lopez, who's a bit of a peacock, likes that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it felt more like a classic Davis Cup tie, um, even though it was a, a less of a close match, actually. Well, when you were having these these sets go by on Friday and, and Norrie starting to get back into it, I mean, I think I think I probably expected him to ultimately have a kind of gallant defeat. You know, I thought mm. it would be close, but I didn't actually think he would end up winning it. I just wonder what how was that greeted? You, you, you've gone out to, to Marbella, and and I imagine there's. There's probably not that much enthusiasm for the tie back in your sports desk. But as the day was going on, did you sense any sort of change in, in, in interest levels as a result of what he was doing? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you, the word count was just rising and rising with each set um, as they, the desk realized that actually this was quite a big thing that was going on, you know, turning a what looked like a regulation defeat into genuinely i would say one of the biggest upsets in british tennis history i mean it's easy to forget because because of the way he looked so relaxed and unfazed by the whole thing how remarkable it was i mean it's been trotted out but you know i've never played a, a clay court match on or the red clay anyway before um before friday having only turned pro last year having never played a match beyond three sets so it was building and building, and then the uh, and back home they definitely um, cottoned on to that how how big a thing uh, this was. Yeah, well, and so he wins that tie. When they came into the press conference afterwards, what what was his attitude like? I mean, was it was it euphoric, or was it, or did you get the sense that actually this is this is something he almost expects of himself? I've been amazed um, with him over the last few days how relaxed and phlegmatic he is about everything. You know, he doesn't, 
I, I think one of the reasons I think he really could go on and achieve big things is he seems very balanced and unflappable. You know, he wasn't, he obviously looked delighted. You know, he, he was aware of how big an achievement it was. But, you know, and he said today, he was like, look, I've learned these guys, his words, they're nothing special. That They're obviously great players, but, you know, he feels he can compete with them now. Um, and, and I think that partly was why today he came out. And, and so often you see when players pull off huge upsets, they're then really flat in the next match and lose comfortably. None of that from him. Um, you know, he made that slow start. But after that, he was bossing Ramos Vernonas around for a couple of sets. So I think that that will really help him. And, and I think it's interesting. Um, I just saw Judy Murray tweet about this, the fact that he had this education. You know, he went and studied in the States for a few years. And I don't know, but it seems to have helped him be a bit more balanced, a bit more relaxed, um, you know, than a lot of young tennis players who at that age seemed very, I don't know, kind of um, a bit overwhelmed by the whole experience. Um, but he didn't. And, and he pointed to that, actually. He said that um, part of the reason why he enjoyed, you know, because it was Davis Cup ties, as you know, that can be chaotic and, that you know, people are shouting midpoint and you've got brass bands bleating away and there's all sorts going on. He looked much more comfortable with that, you know. He and he said, um, playing in the American collegiate system, you get a lot of that. So for him, it was kind of no big deal. Whereas Ramos Vinolas and Bautista Agu were kind of, you know, looked a bit freaked out by it. Yes, well, I mean, although they're very good players, because of Spain's strength and depth, I mean, they haven't had that many opportunities and responsibilities to lead a team, and and it's different, mm. isn't it? And I, th- I think that's very interesting what you say about the college system. I was going to reference that Judy tweet. I'd just seen that. And, and he, I mean, he's he'd actually produced uh, a little kind of video about himself, hadn't he, quite recently. And I just, I find him, I mean, what is he, 21? And he only actually 22. started, 22, and he started playing properly full-time, what, a year ago? Less than yeah. a year ago? Yeah, yeah, left in May, left in May and started soon after, so May, June. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very different type of approach, and I, I've had some dealings with him at Queens, and and I I agree with you. It's that phlegmatic element to his his character that is kind of unusual. But then mm. you, you are talking about somebody who has not just been thrust into this at, uh, as a teenager, and it's kind of that and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's that that lack of balance I think for a lot of these players. Yeah, and I wonder if other Brits will see what he's done and think mm, maybe that's the way to go, and not you know try and crack it from sixteen, seventeen, yeah. especially as now. And I was talking um, with some colleagues about this because players are making their breakthroughs a lot later anyway. You know, it got gone are the days. You know, let's say twenty years ago, maybe twenty two, you'd be thinking you should be winning some big tournaments by now. But that's that's no longer the case. No. You know, players are peaking early thirties, so twenty two is a very sensible time to be starting. You know. You, not necessarily 16, 17 as it used to be. No, people think that they've got time on their side, don't they? Yeah. Um, I, I was. I wanted to know what was Friday night like because I was watching this. Uh, I was watching this this rubber which he won, and and I was seeing some of the tweets from from our colleagues. You know, you, people that you were out there with, and I was thinking, crikey. I can just imagine some massive bender amongst all the <laughs> British media tonight. <laughs> no, not quite. Uh, a few drinks down by the beach, uh, which is very pleasant. Um, yeah, definitely a kind of jubilant mood. I think, and I think from that point on, amongst us, it was kind of like we were playing with house money because it had already exceeded our expectations after the first day. 
um, you know, we'd, we'd come out there um, in hope more than expectation. And then here it was, this great story landing in our laps straight off the bat. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I, I mean, in some ways, it was it was a disappointment from a British perspective, wasn't it, that, that Murray and Inglot didn't have a good day? Mm, yeah, it was, it was quite awkward watching that, I felt. Um, Inglot just... We've all been there. You know, anyone who's played club doubles has been both the one who's been the slightly better player or the slightly worse and it is it's difficult and you could see Jamie was trying to keep him stay positive and keep him going but there was a period um I think it was the second set where he was you know butchering volleys he couldn't hit a ground stroke um and it just got away from him a bit and and Leon said it after he was like it's one thing losing but to not even have any moments of drama or excitement in a Davis Cup double side is really rare um and and it was a bit of a letdown I think so, I mean, when you were coming into the final day, there was obviously that decision to be made, wasn't there? Because the rules have been changed to allow the fifth player who hasn't been selected as part of the four to come in, which in, in this case would have been Kyle Edmund. Was it clear immediately, really, that, that the way they were going to go was to sort of see if the tie was still alive before pitching Edmund in? Or, was, or were, were any of you thinking that maybe he might have played the fourth one to try to keep it alive? Yeah, I mean, I, we didn't think that based on anything Leon said because he was quite... I mean, he made it pretty obvious yesterday that Kyle was going to play if it went to a fifth rubber. But we did have that discussion about um, about whether to put him in on the fourth. The difficulty there, obviously, would mean dropping Norrie and then you've got Brody coming in for the fifth one. Um, it was slightly unfortunate that that was the way round it was, um, that you couldn't play both Edmund and Norrie without... Um, that you couldn't do it, so Edmund came in first and played the fourth rubber. Yes. But uh, you know, but that was the way it was. Um, so I mean, it was we, we were anticipating Edmund would have played the fifth, um, but yeah, he never got there. I mean, it sounded like he was Friday just came a little bit too soon for him after that Australian Open. Run. Yes, yeah. Well, anyway, it was. Uh, I mean, well done, Spain in the end because I I felt considering what they were having to deal with, they they did quite well. I was quite surprised in a way that David Ferrer wasn't pitched in today. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, maybe he would have been for that fifth one, but uh, but that's kind of what I was expecting. I thought him and Pablo Carreño Busta would end up getting the nod. Um, yeah, especially today. because Carreño Busta played so well in the doubles. I thought he was such a cut above. Um, you know, he, he he looked by far the best player on the court, I thought. Yeah. So it's a, it's a it's a relegation playoff now, isn't it? Or a well, a, yes. a world yeah, group playoff, isn't it? To yeah. try to stay in the world group and that'll be in September. In September, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, which you'd think, you know, looking at it because it'll be seeded, so Britain would be seeded high and it, from the look of the potential opponents, I mean there's a lot of variables there, but you'd expect Britain would be favorites. Um almost whoever they play but um yeah it's always about who's available and that sort of thing but um which yeah, which draws... yes i mean if you think about it if if you'd have said that three or four days ago when you kind of got edmund and a doubles team and you're trying to find another player before you knew about cameron norrie and obviously the, yeah. the fact that andy murray's injured and probably not expected to be available it's that is a a pretty strong position suddenly in terms of how it feels isn't it Absolutely, and that was the thrust of my piece today, that this turnaround over the last few days, or, or certainly over the last month, if you think early Jan and Murray pulls out of Australian Open and we're thinking he's never going to get his hips sorted, and at this point, you know, Edmund hasn't done a huge amount, um, and then a month on, he's had this. Edmund's had this amazing run to the Australian Open semi, Norrie's announced himself, 
maybe Murray will come back. And then you're thinking a Davis Cup team with Norrie, Edmund and the Murray brothers is pretty handy. Yeah, you are. Um, so that that's the British team and uh, they will now go on and I mean just just as a final note and I can say this now he's not on the show anymore uh, at the moment um, Charlie but I mean he's some captain isn't he Leon Smith I mean if you oh. consider what is it I was thinking about it. it's 2010 when he played his or, or captained his first tie I think it was against Turkey in Eastbourne I was there at that and defeat would have sent Britain down to Euro African zone three which yeah. they've never been in before and here they are. I mean, there's been countless years in a row in the World Group. They've won the Davis Cup. Obviously, having an Andy Murray, that is what ultimately won the Davis Cup for Britain, uh, allied to a couple of great performances from James Ward and a good doubles team as well. But, you know, to, to just have produced the sort of results that, that got them into the World Group in the first place without Andy Murray, and it, and now sort of still being competitive without Andy Murray. I mean, he really does know what he's doing, that guy. I mean, yeah, I think it's, I tweeted on Friday saying basically that, but I, I wonder if because of Andy Murray's heroics in that 2015 run, we, we slightly underestimate just how good a job Leon Smith's done because it's amazing the way he gets players. And we've seen it so many times. We've had Dan Evans, we've had James Ward, we've had Carl Edmund, now Cameron Norrie believing that they can beat players who are ranked so much higher than them, not just believing it, but then doing it, is is the essence of great management. I mean, he's he's such a great man manager. You can see it the way the players feed off him. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think maybe we don't fully appreciate just how brilliant he's been. No, and and actually that takes me on to the, the, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. A few of the other ties that have been played over the course of this weekend. One of those was the United States winning away 3-0 in Serbia. Now, this was a Serbia without Novak Djokovic. It was without... Viktor Trojicki, you know, it was it was shorn of its its best players. Although uh, Dusan Lajevic is a very good clay court player, and John Isner mm. beat him in five sets. I mean, that's a, a very good win, and they won three zero. So they won it with time to spare. They didn't have a Brian Brothers anymore. It was Ryan Harrison and Steve Johnson, you know, p- pairing up for the doubles. But the reason, I, uh, aside from just wanting to talk about the result. Their captain, Leon uh, Jim Courier, has been going for pretty much the same amount of time as Leon Smith. He he took over in, in late uh, 2010. And the best they've had so far is a semi one semi-final. Now, mm. I mean, Jim Courier was one of the great double, great Davis Cup players. I don't think I'll ever forget what he did in Birmingham um, yeah, in 1999. I was there as a, as a kid. Were you? Yeah, and it was, yeah, unbelievable, yeah. I mean, it, if, you, if you weren't aware of that, I, mean, I, th- I was looking it up today, he, I mean, because I was there too, he beat Tim Henman, I think, 8-6 in the fifth, and then, and this is a Jim Courier that was well past his best. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then he, and this is when Henman and Rosedsky were at their peak. He beat Henman 8-6 in the fifth, he then, or 7-5 in the fifth, he then beat um, Rosedsky 9-7 in the fifth to win the tie on the final day. I, I mean, a, a quite staggering achievement. He also helped uh, the United States, he won the decisive rubber in 1992 to help them beat Switzerland but as a captain so far I mean it's included two defeats against Britain one on home soil as well and like I say they have not got an, an Andy Murray in their team they've got John Isner who's a good you know a good 
kind of contributor. They've got they've had Jack Sock, they've got Sam Query, they've had a world class doubles team in the Bryan brothers for many years. But you know, it, it shows, doesn't it? There's a there's a comparison right there mm-hmm. that so far Courier, as great as he was as a player, hasn't been able to pull out the sort of performances from the team maybe that Leon Smith has been able to. Yeah, I know it's 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 so impressive as well the fact that um so much of tennis, you know, the respect is based on what uh, coaches have done as a player, you know, the kind of advent of the super coach era. And that someone like Leon, who doesn't have a huge pedigree, you know, nothing like someone like Courier, clearly, is able to command so much respect and admiration from all his players. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, he's, um, and, and, and it's not just the States, you know, so many other countries just can't seem to just get that formula. Um, that Leon's managed, you know, he's he's made the Davis Cup a really aspirational thing to be a part of. It's not a sort of, oh, you know, I have to go and do that. It's not an obligation. It's it's something fun, and you can and you know, Kyle Edmund going along this week. How easy would that have been for him? You know, in, in many ways, he he probably shouldn't have gone, and you know, in a lot of countries, he definitely wouldn't. But he wanted to be a part of it. You know, he said it's it's such a, a good atmosphere that he didn't want to miss it. No, and no. To, to have done that is, is just brilliant by the end. It is. Um, so the United States, they're through to the quarterfinals. They play Belgium now. I mean, it kind of feels like Belgium deserved to win it one of these yeah. days after losing it twice in the final. Um, Goffin um, helping them through to the quarters. But that will be in the United States um, and I mean, I just wonder whether maybe this might be the state's chance to to, to do something big because they're also in their half of the group is um, uh, Kazakhstan and Croatia. Who uh, mm. Kazakhstan winning today four one against Switzerland, who were well shorn of their best players, no 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 Federer, no Vavrinka. Um and then Croatia beating Canada. That's a good win at home on clay. A Canada that included uh, Pospisil and Shepovalov. Um and Chilich actually playing a, uh, just the doubles, but helping them come from behind to win an extraordinary doubles. I think from two sets to love down. Borna Chorich doing very well. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? Who would you who would you expect to end up in the final out of quarterfinals that pitching Kazakhstan against Croatia? Winner of that to meet. The United States and Belgium. Mm, that's a difficult one. I mean, you'd say there it's going to be, a, I would say probably a Croatia US semi. And then from there, I guess that slightly depends who would be at home. I'm trying to think who that would be. Um, I'd probably pick Croatia there, to be honest. Um, yeah, because I mean, Chilich is head and shoulders above. That's the thing. The rest, I, I think, it? yeah, the format does mean if you've got a star player like that, the fact they can play all three rubbers. Does um does just give you a mass? I mean, like the Andy Murray 2015 model yeah. gives you a massive advantage. I mean, I I feel as well. France just looking at the other half might be a bit liberated by finally winning it last year. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, and I wonder if they, you know, that monkey off their back. Um, you know. They, they could go all the way again. Yeah, they won 3-1 at home. Uh, I saw Adrian Manorino just struggling to get over the line, and he eventually did. Um, they play in the quarterfinals Italy. A word on Fabio Fanini, who has <laughs> yeah. gone to Japan over this weekend. And Now, I mean, some of his behaviour at times is appalling. And, it, and I mean, a few times in this match it was questionable. But he played 14 sets in three days. Um, and he won two five-setters and doubles and helped Italy to win that 3-1. I mean, it, it's a heck of an achievement, that, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, all three matches were longer than three hours, I think, weren't they? Yeah, um, he, yeah I mean, he's someone, and the more I thought about it this week, the more 
sort of just strengthen my view. Some players just seem cut out for this type of tennis. And he, you know, he's talking about Lopez being a peacock, you know, Fanini is <laughs> kind of on another level in that regard. Uh, <laughs> sure is, yeah. The peacock, Daniel Peacock. But he, um, you know, it feels like he thrives in that atmosphere, that environment. Remember him beating Murray in straight sets in a singles match four years yes. ago. And in, in Davis Cup, that <laughs> takes a heck of a lot of doing. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, as you say, he's a divisive character as Fanini, but, um, yeah, I mean, amazing commitment. And, um, yeah, I felt that with, um, and, and I saw you tweeted and I'd had the exact same thought about Norrie just going back to him. You know, he's someone who just seemed cut out for it. Yes. Um, some people you just, just look like, I mean, and actually some people end up being better players in Davis Cup than they ever manage in the, in the regular tour. I was thinking back to the, remember that, is it Northern Irish um, uh, footballer David Healy who used yes, to score yeah, yeah, yeah. countless yeah, goals yeah. for yeah. Ireland? And and, you can and never do it at club level. Yeah. No, and and that just it just happens like that sometimes, doesn't it? Um, Completely. And, and I thought there was a little bit of the reverse of that with certainly Bautista Agu on Friday, and and I was thinking, in a way, that makes sense because he's someone whose high ranking is not based on kind of exciting five set wins in big you know, in big occasions, it's built on grinding consistency, reaching quarters and semis of a number of events over the course of a year. And so maybe, you know, when you're trying to explain how an upset can happen, you wonder if someone like him, who's also not exactly a flamboyant character um, and someone who likes just kind of metronomic consistency, maybe wasn't so suited to the kind of chaos of the Davis Cup. that um, Someone like Norrie or someone like Fanini seems to be um you know it's not for everyone clearly no um, no he he did look a little bit oh i'm not so sure about this yeah <laughs> and i thought there was some of that with ramos for no last today as well he was getting very agitated I, I mean honestly i think if he could he would have told the brass band to shut up he's <laughs> 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 like let, let let me concentrate on my inside out forehand you know stop distracting me with this nonsense um whereas some guys <laughs> love it and yes. I mean, you think you think as well. You, you talk to any tennis player, and they'll say, from let's say about twenty to two hundred in the world on their day, anyone can be anyone. And when you put them in this environment where you know they can be, get such a lift from the crowd, that's why you get these crazy upsets. I mean, what was it? A Debaca beating Manorino, and he's ranked three hundred and something in the world, you know, three hundred and sixty-nine in the world. And you just think only in the Davis Cup, only in this kind of frenzied atmosphere can that happen. Yes, yes. And, and actually on that subject, uh, the, the other result that we have to touch on is the, the win for Germany in Australia. I mean, mm. I, th- I think this is an incredible result. I think I, I think I picked Charlie, Australia, to win the Davis Cup. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not best pleased about this. But yeah. I mean, you know, hats off to Alexander Zverev in particular mm. because he is somebody who I think question marks i think it's harsh in a way because he's only 20 but question marks have been raised because he hasn't been winning five set matches he hasn't got to a, a slam quarter yet but here he is going to australia beating alex diminor in a, in a five setter i mean and that kid can fight i mean he mm. is i know he i know he's new and he's he's young and he's fresh but zverev got himself through that and then to beat kyrgios 6-2 7-6 6-2 in kyrgios's 
well, on the on on the same site that Kyrgios won the Brisbane tournament, it was held mm. on the same court, and he beat him, thrashed him really in straight sets. A guy who had won three of their four previous meetings, Kyrgios had. I think that's a heck of an achievement, and it could be the making of Zverev that. Yeah, definitely. And you saw this stat that's the first time Zverev has beaten a top fifty player in a best of best of five set match, which is extraordinary, you know, and kind of speaks to his terrible Grand Slam record. Um, but yeah, maybe that is the, you know, he needed that boost. He needed that self-belief because I think th- there was a lot of disappointment in the Australian Open the way he went out to Chung. I mean, getting bageled in that final set, he won five points in the final set. It was the fourth seed. You know, that is just no way to exit a Grand Slam tournament. Um, so yeah, credit to him for sticking out there um, and and putting off, um, yeah, a great win against no, a, he's you know, shown, a class opponent. He's shown what he's made of there and that it's in there. And, and I would have thought, I would have thought he'll be able to draw in that. I was thinking back, you know, to when, when Federer, I think he'd already won Wimbledon by then and, and he played against Leighton Hewitt in Australia and and he was leading, I think, two sets to love and he ended up losing to Hewitt in five and it really hurt him at the time. Mm. But, you know, he didn't shrivel in in the in that. He he ended up coming back and and dominating the the uh, the head to head with, with Leighton Hewitt thereafter. And uh, I think that's a major result for, for Alexander Zverev. Um, a couple of other s- talking points just before we uh, we send you on your way to go and get a nice dinner, Charlie, because you've earned <laughs> it over the last few days. Um, a, a word on the... the uh, first of all, what we've heard this week is, I think it was a, a minor or a small medical intervention. Mm. Mm. Uh, Novak Djokovic has called something that he's had done to his elbow, which is obviously some kind of surgery. Um, I mean, I think... After the Australian Open, it was obvious. It, it had a very similar feel to Andy Murray, didn't it? That you know, mm. you, you've tried your rehab. It's now time to get this sorted another way. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of slightly frustratingly cryptic because he doesn't actually in that Instagram post that you referred to. He doesn't give any details. Yeah, he says I accepted to do a small medical intervention on my elbow. Um, he doesn't give any real detail on that or what the procedure was or when he'll be back. Um, but yeah, I think, it, yeah, similarly with Murray after that Wimbledon loss, yeah, he realized this isn't right, um, which I think came as a big surprise. I think people were, weren't expecting anything from Murray this January. You know, there were a lot of whispers about how injured he was, whereas it seemed like Djokovic was much further ahead with his recovery. Um and I don't know how surprised he was by how much it's still bothering him. I don't know if he thought the worst was over. But, um, yeah, it's clearly not right. And I think it'll be interesting now to see how long he does take off. You know, when we'll next see him. Yeah. Uh, well, I think most of us, well, it doesn't really matter how long it takes. They've they've just got to get it right, these two, now, um, so that they can hopefully be competitive and fully fit and healthy and not talking about injuries for the mm. next uh, however many years they decide they want to play the sport. Talking about other people that have come back, a much better news story of Kane Ishikori, who, uh, I mean, quite quite a bizarre announcement mm. uh, before the Australian Open that he's pulling out of the Australian Open. However, he's playing a challenger the week afterwards, which, which I mean, at the time was like, what? But, yeah. you know, he, he clearly decided... I, I'm not ready for that level of battle over best of five sets, and he's gone and won the challenger. Yeah, I mean, fair play to him. It's, it's highly unconventional. I can't really think of 
a comparison. And, and you know, he's still ranked, I think, the top 30 in the world. Um, but, he, yeah, he obviously thought this was what he needed to get competitive again and almost wanted to ease himself back in. Um, and actually, you know, it wouldn't have been a surprise if he if he'd struggled, um, you know, that you're still playing tough opponents who have a huge incentive to try and beat you. You know, a guy who was number four in the world less than a year ago. Um, yeah, bigger challenges await. And, and again, you know, like with, with Djokovic, we just wait and see how, how recovered he is, especially Vinicius with Corey with, the, with it being the wrist. We've seen that with Del Potro and Laura Robson and others. You, you, you do wonder, you, do worry for players when they they pick up that injury you do well let's hope they're all fully fit very soon and uh, can carry on the circuit um we will just uh, very quickly mention the other two tournaments that, that i'm aware of taken place this week uh, st petersburg on the wta side a great win for petra kvitova who thrashed yelena ostapenko uh, for the loss of two games along the way and uh, she ended up winning the tournament um we also had victory for tamir babosh who uh, won the tournament in in Taipei. I, I, I like this one, Charlie, just briefly. Both Babosh and Mladenovic, who were doubles partners in Australia and actually mm. won the title there, and Mladenovic, who'd had a terrible time of it, 15 losses in a row she'd lost in singles, ended up reaching the final straight after having won that doubles. And it just goes to show, doesn't it, feel-good factor can make a big mm. difference because Babosh ended up winning a title, um, after winning the doubles in Australia and her doubles partner reached the final. I know, yeah, what I was thinking about from Mladenovic, what a relief that must have been. Yeah. And also, it's it's impressive that um, when you have such a losing mentality, you can you are still able to win doubles matches, <laughs> that it doesn't just kind of seep into it. And I think it might affect you even worse if you were playing doubles and it was getting away from you and you felt like you were responsible so um but yeah no it seems like um some good therapy for her um for her singles game yeah i'd imagine it's just a heck of a relief you know to to have yeah. some company out on the court a little bit like yeah. davis cup sometimes can be yeah. so there we are it's been a cracking uh week uh certainly a few days particularly for you did you like marbella yeah yeah i did very much uh, especially i was i've i've um had a lot of messages telling me how freezing cold it is back home. So um, yes, it yeah, is. That's, that's I can guarantee <laughs> maybe that. <feel> even smugger. <laughs> so back home tomorrow. Uh, nice dinner, hopefully for you tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the tennis podcast. Always a pleasure to have you. Cheers. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be on. Excellent. And we will be back next week. Of course, we did promise you this week that we were bringing you our listener questions first instalment here on the Tennis Podcast. Well, so much happened this weekend that we thought thought we better uh, do things a little differently. So we'll be back with that next week. Catherine and myself answering your questions. It's a show we've already done and it's edited by our guest editor, Jim Boyle. We'll have another one of those with Grace Onions the week after that. Uh, loads of talking points that Catherine and I got out teeth stuck into do make sure you watch her on eurosport she'll be covering uh, the winter olympics throughout the next few weeks and we will be back next week with the tennis podcast we want to say thank you of course to our executive producers melanie bows who's our predictions champion although something tells me that Catherine whitaker had a rather good uh, couple of weeks uh, in the australian open and the predictions front which really irritates me enormously uh, we want to say thanks to tennisballs.com and of course triple s and uh, our our mascot Charlie the Ferret, our sponsors La Manga Club, who uh, are 
responsible for producing the game that Catherine Whitaker reckons she's going to beat me in in our rematch in a few weeks' time when she finally gets back from from Korea. Uh, but that's not going to happen because uh, Jill Krabus is giving me all sorts of tips and I'm going to be ready for her. We will be back with another tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph very soon. See you next week. 